Hey, you ever have that uh, in church where you think the song's getting ready to start and so you sing out and then no one else is singing? Did you hear that just a minute ago? That was my nephew. Could you let him know how proud you are of him, how good he sounded today? Well, this morning, <laughs> he's under the chair. This morning, uh, we're going to continue our series called Ask Me Anything. And it's basically a series that over the years of pastoring, there's been some common reoccurring questions that people just say, hey, when it comes to this subject, uh, I've heard some things, I've saw some stuff on TV, I read some stuff, not totally sure. What does the Bible actually say? And so last week we looked at the subject of angels and demons, and we talked a lot about that. And so this uh, week we're going to look at the subject of life after death. And and that's a subject that quite often we don't want to discuss because we pretend as if it's not going to happen, right? Have you ever heard someone say this, or maybe you've said this yourself? Now, if anything ever happens, to me. Let me break the news to you. Something is going to happen to you, all right? And so the scripture says that our life on earth is so brief, and in comparison, eternity is just that. It's eternity. And so we spend so, so much time talking about this brief life and such little time talking about life after death. Uh, so we're going to examine that this morning. Now, I'm aware that today is Father's Day, and so uh, I'm just like you. I have made a special meal, meal request on Father's Day. Uh, how many of you guys, you have certain things you like, right? Some of you are going to start your grill up this afternoon. You're so excited about Father's Day lunch. I get the same thing on Father's Day. I ask for the same thing every single year. Uh, bacon sandwiches on, like, cheap white bread and craft macaroni and cheese, like the kind with the orange powder. You know what I'm talking about? Same thing. My wife says, you are so white trash. And I said, but I am so happy, all right? And so I am totally aware it's Father's Day. I've been planning this meal for a year. And so you think, well, it's Father's Day. And so how does a message about life after death connect with Father's Day? Actually, it's perfectly natural. Let me prove it to you. Raise your hand if you ever heard your mom say, wait till your dad gets home. You ever hear that? And you began to ponder questions about eternity at that point, did you not? Because you knew what was coming. So, well, this morning we're going to look at and answer the question, what does the Bible really say about life after death? And uh, it's going to be a topical message this morning. We're going to share lots of verses. But we're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. That's over on the left side of your Bible. So Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And so we, we uh, approach this talk and we say, you know, should we even discuss this? And, you know, is, is this something we want to talk about? But the Scripture actually says it's profitable uh, to begin to ask questions uh, about life after death. And so, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, I'm going to read this morning verses 1 through 4. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take its heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And so, let me just give you a quick paraphrase. He says something uh, incredibly interesting. He says it's better, it's uh, maybe not more pleasant, but it's more profitable for you to be in a place of mourning, a funeral home or someplace like that, than it is at a party. Now, why in the world would the Bible say that? Because if we're honest, we're thinking, you know what? I've been to both, and I have a lot better time at a party. Uh, The reason the Scripture says that is because here's what the Bible knows. That nothing puts life into perspective like death itself. 
And as people think that their life begins to draw short, they begin to refocus priorities and rebuild broken relationships and restore fellowship with God and all kinds of things. And so that's why the Bible says it, that although it's not pleasant, uh, here in Ecclesiastes 7 it says it's actually profitable to begin to think about these things and to talk about this. And so uh, in the New Living Translation paraphrase in verse 4 it says this, A wise person thinks much about death, while the fool thinks only about having a good time now. And so the scripture over and over examines this topic. And throughout most of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon was asking what happens at death when the reality is the question he should have been asking is what happens after that? And so that's a common question. What actually does happen in life after death? I mean, I've read some things, and I I watched a movie one time, not totally for sure it was true, right? So what does the Bible actually teach about this whole subject that we talk so little about, but yet we shouldn't, the Scripture says. So so here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to give you an overview. When the Bible talks and uses the word death, it actually doesn't just limit it to the focus that we often think of. When the Bible talks about death, it speaks of it in three different facets. And so the first facet uh, Scripture talks about is spiritual death. And spiritual death happened in Genesis chapter 3 uh, in the Garden of Eden, the fall of man. And so when man broke their covenant with God, uh, or what most theologians call the time when Eve blew it for everyone, amen? Yeah, scared guys in here this morning, all right? That what they said is at that point in time, spiritual death took place. That man became separated from God. And scripture says in Romans 5, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So the scripture speaks of spiritual death, that time where man fell and became separated from God in fellowship. The Bible also talks about death in this sense. It describes uh, in Revelation uh, what's known as the second death. And the second death is the place of irreversible uh, condemnation where a person spends all of eternity uh, separated from God. Here's what uh, the Bible says in Revelation 20, 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so scripture talks about spiritual death at the fall of man. Scripture talks about the second man, which is eternal condemnation. But the Bible also talks about, obviously, what we're familiar with, which is uh, physical death. And so spiritual death occurred as a past event. Uh, The second death is a future event. But physical death is the present struggle for all of us walking on this planet. Now, I cannot tell you how many times in the last 14 years... Someone has come to me and said, I don't know why God had to take my loved one. I, I don't understand God's timing. I, don't, I think God would have gotten more glory if he would have healed him. Or, I don't totally understand this, and, and I don't understand that answer. And many times you and I will never understand that on this side of eternity. But as a whole, I do know why God allowed death into human history. It was punishment for man's sinfulness. Scripture says this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And so death as a whole is something that's an overall punishment for man's disobedience and the covenant that man broke with God there in the garden of Eden. So, uh, so as it relates to this subject, the Bible talks about spiritual death of the fall. The Bible talks about the second death, the place of eternal condemnation. And the Bible, and we're all familiar, certainly physical death. And the reason for that is the punishment from the fall of man. So, so that's an overview of what the Bible teaches on a subject that we often don't even want to talk about. But there also are some questions that I have accumulated over the years. And so in putting together this message, I wrote down what I thought were uh, some incredibly common questions uh, related to the subject of death. I also wrote down what I thought there was a lot of confusion about. 
Because the reality is, is we have a responsibility to speak truth into every facet of life, even the end of life, which is the most important questions uh, we can ask. So here's what I've done this morning. I wrote down some common or confusing questions related to the subject, and I'm going to give you some biblical answers. And my guess is uh, maybe someone has asked you about this, and you may not know what the Bible said, or maybe you've even had questions about this as well, or you've heard something, and you don't know if it totally lines up with Scripture. So uh, here's the first one. Uh, what happens... Uh, when a child dies. Now, we have four children, uh, but in the course of having four children, uh, we, we had two children that were, that were miscarried. And so what happens when, when a child is miscarried? Uh, what happens when, it, when a, uh, you know, a toddler or something, God forbid, uh, should tragically pass away? So, so the question is, what happens when a child dies? Here's the answer, and you can write this down. Instant heaven, immediately in the presence of God, now, if you're here this morning you've ever lost a child, listen, that should bring a measurable comfort to you know that at that moment in time when that little one took its last breath, it took its next breath in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ, fully alive, worshiping Him for all of eternity. The Scripture speaks about this clearly. Now, if you're listening, you said, but I thought that man was born sinful. And so how in the fact does a sinful child, even a baby, did you know this, that your child, as cute as they were, those little kids behind me, they're nothing but little sinners. Did you know that? Do you hear that? Listen, they don't have a, the only thought they have in their mind is a selfish thought, right? I'm hungry, I'm, I'm not sleepy, I'm, you know, I want to be fed, change, all those kinds of things. And so how is it that a child born with a fallen nature uh, never has a chance to receive Christ enters into the presence of God? Well, here's what the Bible says. The Scripture says this, when there's no knowledge of sin, sin is not charged to their account or sin is not held against them. And so the Scripture, we would talk about that, is in a state of innocence. You say, now, is that sentimental? Is that what you just say because you want to comfort people? Or does the Bible actually teach that? Write this verse down, Romans chapter 5, verse 13. Here's what it said, sin is not imputed. Now, what does that mean? Imputed is, a, is an accounting term. It means it's credited to your account or charged to your account is what that means. And so he says, sin is not imputed where there is no knowledge of the law. And so in other words, when a, when a child, an infant, or someone maybe who has the mind of a child, uh, when someone has no knowledge they violated God's law, that's not held or charged to their account. And so a child dies in a state of innocence, and so the, the reality for them is instant heaven when a child dies. Uh, we see in the scripture, David lost a child and uh, David said this, he said, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. David never wondered, was my child innocent? David never wondered, was my child a part of the elect? David just said, listen, when my time comes to draw my last breath, that'll be a time of reunion with my child. He will not come to me, but I will go to him. And so what happens when a child dies? The scripture says clearly they're in a state of innocence. There's no knowledge of sin. It's not held to their account. And so the answer is instant heaven. Now, here's another question that relates to this uh, subject. Uh, over and over, people ask me, when does the age of accountability begin? Uh, that, that's a term we use in church, and so we talk about that. So if a child is innocent, there's no knowledge of the law, so it's not held to their account, when do they cross over that line? Like, when does that happen where all of a sudden now they are accountable? Well, here's the reality. The age of accountability is clearly addressed in 4 John. So if you'll turn your Bible there this morning... Some of you are looking for, like, I can't find it, right? It's not in there. It's why. The reality is the Bible never describes a specific age of accountability. And so for every child, there is that time where the awareness of their sin, where the awareness that their sin has separated from God is totally different. 
So there is no magical age where there's this rite of passage uh, where a child says, I'm now held accountable uh, for my sin. The Scripture never talks about that. And so over and over, uh, Scripture never talks. So the answer is simply this, at the point of conviction of sin. When that child understands they're sinful and that sin separates them from God, and they become accountable for that, at that point in time, that child has become spiritually accountable before the Lord, but it's never a certain age or rite of passage or anything like that. And so that's a common, common question. Here's another uh, different topic, but still a question uh, when regarding death. And let me just say this. This is probably the subject that I have heard more uh, misinformation on. I've heard more professing Christians get it wrong on this subject. Uh, many of you have uh, given misinformation when walking through this tragedy. And so this is a subject that we don't like to talk about, but it's a real-life subject. And so we better find real answers from the real Word of God. And so here's the question. What happens when a person commits suicide? Like, I, I've had that question over and over and over again. I've heard people give answers that are so far off base. I've heard people give things, and they just, you know, this is my opinion, those kinds of things. And so here's the reality. So, so here's what I wondered. What is the thought in culture on this difficult issue? And so I just did this. So I went to the source of truth. I went to Google. And I just typed in Google, and I typed in these three words, suicide, unpardonable sin. And then a discussion came up on Yahoo with uh, these things. And so, so here was, so a person asked this question on this discussion uh, site, and his name was Scott, and here's what he said. It said, is suicide an unpardonable sin? If hell is real, having committed suicide, will a person automatically go there, even if she or she is, uh, she, he or she is saved, born again, a believer, forgiven, all those kinds of things. So, so here's what's interesting. Uh, in a matter of a few minutes, there were 36 responses to Scott's question on Google. And if it's on the internet, it has to be true, right? And so I began to wonder, what do these people write down? Some profess to be believers. Some said, I'm not a believer, but here's my thought. Here's my opinion. So, that, so there were all these answers. So let me just share a, a sampling of what people said to that uh, subject. Uh, someone said this, thou shall not kill. One of the big ten as far as commandments go, if you're a believer, then yes. I would say if you commit a sin and then not ask forgiveness, then you're going to hell. The person was uh, a little angry, I think. Uh, someone just said this, yes, you will go straight to hell. Someone said this, if someone commits suicide, they can be forgiven, but it is harder in the next life. Uh, someone says, I believe you should think about your life as a gift from God and taking it as a disrespect. And I believe if you take your life, then you definitely do not deserve eternal life. Someone said this, I think so. Thou shalt not kill and all. Uh, you have no time to repent. Uh, someone said, if you read the Bible, you will find the true answer. It doesn't matter if you were saved or not. Suicide is the unpardonable sin. Someone said this, suicide is a mortal sin. Now, if you come from a background of traditional Catholicism, in Catholicism, uh, there are mortal sins and there are venial sins. Venial sins are not a big deal, like overeating today, right? But a mortal sin is something that cannot be forgiven. And so this person answered from that perspective, and they said suicide is a mortal sin. It is unpardonable because there is usually isn't any time after doing it to confess to a priest and thereby be absolved of your sins. And so uh, this is my favorite response. I don't know the person's denominational background, but I have a guess on their gender. Here's what they said. I have no clue. Suicide is wrong, so you should relax and eat some chocolate. Now listen. A woman wrote that. Do we not know that? Right? So, so what does the Bible really say? Because listen, when a person walks through that and if in their family, and their circle of influence, there are fewer things more devastating. And they want to know, what does the Bible teach? And so has this person missed heaven because of their sin and those kinds of things? Is it really the unpardonable sin? 
So here's what a commentary said. I'm just going to read you. It's a little lengthy, and so, but, but it's so good. So listen to this closely, all right? Uh, one of the most frequent views, here's what it says, which has been expressed uh, concerning the unpardonable sin. Now, if you think, what is the unpardonable sin? There is a passage in the Bible, Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 31, that describes an unpardonable sin. And so some of the people on this board said suicide is the unpardonable sin because you don't have time to ask forgiveness uh, afterwards. Here's the problem with that. Did you know this? That when Christ died for your sins, he forgave your sins past, present, and future. You don't have to wonder if any sin ever got confessed because Christ already paid the penalty and suffered the wrath of God for your sins. So hear me this morning. That is good news because you and I have lots of sinning to do here on earth. Did you know that? You know, you and I are capable of all kinds of dumb things. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to someone who's ever done something dumb. Would you just acknowledge that this morning? Yes, some of you are way, some of you have two hands up for the first time in church. How was church? I'm not, I think I praise the Lord. I don't know. I lifted two hands. I'm not sure. It felt good. And here's the good news. Christ died for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Did you know, listen, this is, some of you think it's going to sound wrong, and heresy and all those kinds of things. Listen, did you know that the reason people don't uh, go to heaven is not because their sins aren't forgiven? The reason people don't go to heaven, their sins have already been paid for. The reason people don't go to heaven is the sin of unbelief. That's what the Bible says. And so Scripture already says your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. What about the unpardonable sin? Well, the context is here. Uh, when you look at this passage, uh, the, the reality is simply here. Uh, it has nothing. Listen, if you read that passage, it has nothing to do with suicide. There are lots of discussion about what does it really mean. Some say it's attributing the works uh, of, of uh, Christ to the works of Satan and what was going on there. Some people say it's blasphemy, all those kinds of things. But not one single time is suicide ever referenced in the only passage that talks about an unpardonable sin. And so here's the reality. As tragic as it is, if someone takes their own life, if they've been forgiven, they've been forgiven of everything, and they'll be in the presence of the Lord rejoicing with Him for all of eternity. Finally made whole in their mind, body, and spirit. And that is good news for hurting families. Amen? God bless you for the golf clap over here. There's one Pentecostal among us. Amen? Thank God for them. The rest of you are backslidden Presbyterians. All right. So what happens after I die? Well, what does the Bible actually teach? Recent surveys said that more people today believe in a real heaven and a real hell than ever before. However, the number of people that believe in heaven was double the number of people that believe in hell. But lots of people said, I still believe in an afterlife. And so what happens after I die? Well, the scripture talks about several, uh, really on two options, I guess. Option number one, we suffer separation in hell. The Bible describes hell as a place of uh, suffering and a place of separation. Now, here, here's the reality. Most people today are ignorant about what the Bible teaches about hell. And you know why? Because people are afraid to get up in the pulpit and teach the whole counsel of God's Word. You know why? Because we're so concerned about filling the room up instead of preaching the whole counsel of God's Word. It doesn't matter how many people show up on a Sunday morning. It matters how much glory the Father gets is all that matters. And if you give the Father glory, He'll take care of bringing people to your church. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says this. It says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. 
And so the scripture is incredibly clear about the reality of hell. Twelve of the twenty direct references into hell in the New Testament came from Jesus' lips. That the person who talked about hell the most in the Bible was Jesus himself. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. And so the scripture talks about this over and over. So what does the Bible really describe about hell? So here's what the Bible says. And listen, there are lots of people who love the Lord, who teach the Lord, who disagree on the reality and some of the descriptors about hell. But here are some things the Bible clearly teaches, all right? Uh, The scripture says that it is a place of suffering. The Bible talks about that. So what types of suffering? Uh, Scripture talks about some type of physical suffering. Now, we don't know totally what that looks like. But did you know this, that we talk about the saints of God being raptured one day and and their their graves opening up and being reunited with their their souls, their bodies being reunited? You know, the Bible actually teaches this, that even the unsaved will be resurrected one day. Why? So their soul and their body can be reunited to stand before judgment of God at the great white throne judgment. And so why in the world would God resurrect the body of an unsaved person if there were not some physical suffering that took place? And so what does that look like? There's a lot of debate about this. Are the flames literal? Are they symbolic of judgment? And what does it mean? All these kinds of things. Listen, here's what I know. The scripture clearly says no one will get to hell one day and say, you know what? This isn't as bad as I thought. Like no one's looking around going, ah, it's a little uncomfortable, but it's not too bad. So the Bible describes it as a place of physical suffering. The Bible also describes it as a place of emotional suffering. Several times when Christ talks about the reality of hell, he describes it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so when you're in a place of emotional angst or anxiety, you're kind of grinding your teeth, there's anxiety there. That's what the Bible's talking about. So he describes it as a place of emotional suffering. It's a place where you'll finally be given over to all your sinfulness. It's a place where you finally will realize all the things that God gave you exactly what you asked for. The Bible also says it's a place of relational suffering. C.S. Lewis said this, Hell is nothing but yourself for all of eternity. It's a place of spiritual suffering. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says they'll be shut out from the presence of the Lord. Now hear me this morning. The greatest tragedy of hell is right there that a person finally will be shut out from the presence of the Lord for all of eternity. The Bible says this, uh, that God's common grace extends to the whole of humanity as God blesses those who love him on the earth. And so the overflow of that blessing happens to everybody, but the Bible says in hell they will be shut out from the presence of the Lord forever. Now, here's what I know some of you are thinking. Some people are thinking that I would never serve a God who would do that to people. Can I just tell you this? The only other option is this, is that for a God that you wanted nothing to do with on earth, how loving would it be for that God who you wanted nothing to do with to force you to spend all of eternity with him? You see, hell is ultimately God giving people what they want. It's separation from him. Someone described hell as this. They said it's like the great Burger King. God looks at you and says, have it your way. And so scripture speaks about this over and over and over. And God says, listen, either my will be done or your will be done. Now, if we ended the service today, people go home and they would say it was a terrible Father's Day. But here's option two, Scripture says, life after death. We enjoy celebration in heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. I've heard many people say this. I've said it myself that some of the greatest things about heaven are not the things that will be there. Listen, you've all got an idea of what you hope is going to be there. For some of you, you have a certain hobby. You think, well, I get to do that. 
You know, for some of you think, well, I, I imagine heaven doing this, and I want to you know, spend time with this person. I want to introduce and talk to this person. I want to meet this person, right? Some people say, listen, I, I just want to be reunited with my loved ones. I've heard some people say, I just want to see my pet again. Now, listen, here's the good news. If you have a dog, that will happen. If you have a cat, not so much, all right? <laughs> cats, write this down. Cats go to the smoking section. I don't know if you knew that, all right? you don't believe that demons are real, get a cat, all right? They're just waiting to attack you. Personal experience, but I'm not bitter. Some of the greatest things about heaven are not the things that are there, it's the things that aren't there. All the suffering in this world, all the heartache, all the tragedy, the Bible says none of those things will be present in heaven. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says God himself will be with him. Now, let, let me just set the record straight. That itself is the primary attraction of heaven. It's not who's going to be there and this person's gone on and, and this activity. Well, I get to do this for all, you know, I enjoy this hobby. And so heaven to me is I get to do that all the time. Or, you know, one of the cases, listen, the central attraction of heaven is God himself. You won't wonder, do I get to do this? Because you'll spend so much time worshiping at his feet for all of eternity. And so the Bible says in Revelation 21, God himself will be with them. And listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who sits on the throne says, I'm making everything new. Now listen, if you watch the news, it is a sad world we live in. Amen? But here's the good news. It's not the final world we inhabit if we know Jesus Christ. That this is but a vapor, and in heaven, everything that is wrong will be made right, and everything that is uncomfortable, God himself will bring comfort. So what's it like? What's heaven like? A lot of books written about it. A lot of you know, people have been there and came back and wrote a book, and there's a lot of debate about that. Some people say it's true, it's not true. So, so what does the Bible say? Here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this. Heaven is like nothing you've ever seen. This is a paraphrase. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard all that God has prepared for those who love him. So, so in other words, no, no one totally knows. It's so much better than you can imagine. We just got back from the beach. It was fantastic. It was, it, you know, there was a couple days. It was, it was just beautiful out there. I, I just couldn't imagine a more beautiful setting just watching that. And the Bible says that is, that is a, listen, that is a garbage dump compared to heaven. Scripture says you don't, can't even fathom what's going on. The Bible does give us some practical pictures. It's God's city where everything is perfect. It's where God reigns. He rules. The Bible talks about being filled with jewels and streets of gold in Revelation 21. But what does the Bible actually say? So let me just answer some common questions. We're almost done. What will we be like in heaven? We will have literal bodies that are perfect. And you say, well, I don't know what that looks like. Take a picture, all right? Which is <laughs> Take it all in, amen? All of it. A lot of powdered cheese in this belly, all right? So what? <laughs> Some of you are like, I am, I am not eating lunch. I am sick. Sick. Well, here's what the Bible describes. It describes us as having spiritual bodies now when we think of a spiritual body we think of a non-physical existence the theological term for that is a non-corporeal existence but when you dig into the, the text about when it talks about a spiritual body it what it really means in the original language is a spirit energized body in other words it's a body that never wears out it is free from defects 
And so the Bible talks about have literal bodies that are perfect. Some people say, well, you know, uh, uh, you'd be the same age when you die, but, but you fall I've heard people say, well, Jesus died when he was 33, so you'd be without age. Listen, I, I don't know. I don't know what the Bible says. I have a body that will never wear out. And whatever that looks like, it's going to be fine. Like, I'm not going to get there and go, what's the letdown, right? <laughs> literal bodies that are spirit energized are perfect. Oh, the scripture says this, that our character will be holy. Listen, the greatest need that you and I have is not some kind of physical need, even though there are real physical needs in this room. I'm not diminishing that. The greatest need you and I have on this earth is to finally be free from our sin. And all the injury it causes us and causes ourselves. I remember an interview several years ago with Joni Erickson Tata, who's been a, a paraplegic for years, and they said, oh, I bet you can't wait to get to heaven and, and walk again. She said, yes, I've, I'll rejoice for that. She said, but I can't wait to get to heaven and finally be free from the chains of my sin. And so Scripture says that will happen in heaven. Now, now here's a common question. Now listen, if you lost someone who knew Christ and they've gone on to eternity, I want you to listen closely and write this down. This will bring you a lot of comfort this morning because here's a question about, about heaven. Will I know people in heaven? I cannot tell you how many times I have been asked that question uh, over the years when someone has lost a loved one. Now, now here, listen, the answer is yes. Write this verse down, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Here's what the Bible says. Now listen, I don't say that because I want to comfort people as a pastor. I'm saying it because that's the truth of God's word. Here's what the scripture says. We shall know them as we are fully known. We shall be known as we are fully known at this time point in time. And so for heaven, for those who know Christ, it is an incredible time of reunion. And so scripture talks about the options, heaven and hell, nothing in between. So here's the bottom line. Death is an appointment. Did you realize that every person in the room this morning, every person in the room this morning is nothing more today than a heartbeat away from eternity. You say, Brad, that is that's terribly depressing news. Listen, not if you know Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You see, death is for the believer in Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me this morning. Death for a believer in Jesus Christ is not a punishment. It's a promotion. It's not revenge from God. It's a reward for the believer. And someone very wise once said there are only two things in life that are unavoidable, taxes and death. And I will never understand why people have a known appointment that they cannot avoid like death, but yet remain totally unprepared for that appointment. And Proverbs says this, don't brag about tomorrow because you do not know what a day will bring forth. Reminded the words of a convicted murderer, he entered the San Quentin gas chamber to be executed. When they asked if he had any final words, he quoted this line from the movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Raise your hand if you ever saw that movie. Yeah, you know, some of you have, and you won't admit it, all right? We know. And here's what it said. It doesn't matter if you were a king or a street sweeper, because in the end, we all dance with the Grim Reaper. And I don't care how much money you make, and I don't care what title's on your office door, and I don't care the accolades and awards you've won at the end of time, it'll be you standing before the Father, forgiven or condemned. Standing before the Lord. And I promise you, the better option is forgiven. And the only question that matters in the room this morning is not 
whether death will come. And so, so don't ask, hey, if anything ever happens to me, because the Bible says it will. It's the only question is not will death come knocking, looking for me. The question is when it does, will I be ready? Will I be ready? Here's the good news this morning. You can get ready today. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and be totally forgiven now and all of eternity. Enjoy fellowship with him for all of eternity. Would you bow your heads this morning, please? With your head bowed this morning, I hope that this morning we've discussed a subject that, quite frankly, is for some is unpleasant, but it is profitable because it makes us ask hard questions. And so the only question I want to ask this morning is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you say with confidence that heaven will be your home, not because of what you've done or the kind of person you've been? Our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Father. But because you have received Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. You see, for every person this room this morning you're in one of two categories as it relates to the hope of heaven one is you're still working on it trying to do your best trying to be a good person hoping your good outweighs your bad so some of you this morning are working for heaven and some of you this morning are, are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ it is finished and so this morning right where you're at I can't think of a better day to receive Jesus Christ than today. What an incredible Father's Day to be introduced to your Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. You may have not had a great example of a Father on earth, but here's the good news. You've got a perfect Father in Heaven who loves you so much, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. You can receive Him today right in your seat. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to join a church. The Bible never says that. The Bible says that by faith, you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or you're not sure if you do, or you know you've never been saved, and you're not ready for that final appointment, would you pray with me this morning? No magic words, just a prayer of faith. God, I acknowledge this morning that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross as payment for those very sins. I believe that he was buried and arose the third day so that I can have eternal life and relationship with him. And so, God, today I confess my sins. I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And from this day forward, I want to follow him. The Bible says very clearly this morning, if you prayed that, if you received that, if you repented of your sins, and ask Jesus Christ to save you, then today you've been born again. You've got a new start with God. You've got a new standing before God in all of eternity. So share that with someone today. Father, we're grateful that you don't leave us how you found us. You sent Jesus to save us. May that message overwhelm us. May this Father's Day remind us of our Heavenly Father and His perfect love for us. We say thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.